us that somehow we could find a way that God could just kind of reignite us and off we would go and our spiritual lives would just accelerate and grow. I shared the example of in our home we burn a lot of firewood and we realized that as, as great as it might seem or as warm as that feeling might be, my wife would be the first one to tell you, in the morning it's not so cozy. In the morning the fire needs to get rekindled, it needs to get started again because it can be pretty cold in a house that the fire burns. Well, in our lives, we have those night seasons, we have those times in life that the fire needs to be rekindled. The temptation is use gasoline. <laughs> well, when it comes to our, our, our spiritual walk with, with the Lord, uh, we realize that uh, some things we might think in terms of the way we get a spark once again. The way we take off running for Jesus and take off doing these, uh, this renewed strength is we sometimes are looking for something like fire, a quick glow, one that takes off running and will continue to burn and burn and burn. And well, those kind of experiences with God tend to not last as long. They might come with a little bit of a flare. They might seemingly create a, a, an appearance of a hot passion but if our relationship is not deep, it's probably going to be more temporary than life-changing. And that's what we're looking at. This morning we want to look at the aspect of worship. Because there's a chance that possibly we've had meaningful experiences or intimate times or real uh, warm moments in life where worship has really lost its, uh, its beauty, it's lost, it's drawl, somehow, even in those times with God, they're just not quite as meaningful or effective in the shaping of our lives. Psalm 95, I want to begin at uh, uh, verse 1 and read down through 7. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks, they belong to him. The sea is his for he made it and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Let's pray. Lord, we recognize as we look upon these various scriptures, they might be rather familiar to us. On the other hand, maybe we've never read them. But we know, O oh God, that somehow we pray that by your grace and the strength that you give and the spirit that is placed in our hearts, we might find ourselves in touch with you in a fresh way once again. We pray that our worship experiences would once again bring about a sweet longing of communion and fellowship with you. We pray that as we come into your presence, we will not remain the same. Thank you, Lord, for what you desire to do among us. May your name be honored in Jesus' name. Amen. As we think in terms of worship and these worship experiences, I believe that 
a fresh approach to worship or a renewed experience with God in worship is a very significant key to changing not only the passion of our lives itself, but the passion we have in those times alone with God. And to believe that somehow we can kind of get renewed in our Christian enthusiasm without a renewal in worship, I think we fool ourselves. And I think uh, uh, we fool ourselves for two primary reasons. Not only do we have the Word of God that reinforces that significant place of worship in our lives, but most of us could testify when those times of connection with God, those intimate yearnings of expression of the heart, when they're not there, you can try all the gasoline you want. You can try all kinds of ways of experiencing in your life. But somehow, the importance, as last week we talked about prayer, is a very important connection. So are those times of worship. It's possible that the song, when we, we sing songs of, in praise and during that worship time that we can put them, we can somewhat take on the form of a routine exercise that worship, in essence, is described as that's what we do. Whereas worship is not so much something you do, it's someone that you've come into his presence with. And one way that can reignite or, or once again revive our worship experience is to consider that it is God that we are truly approaching. Now, we might know these things with our mind, but it takes exercise, it takes discipline, it takes a resolve in the mind and heart that I am coming once again into the presence of the great King. He indeed is the one that I come into. And sometimes we go through these experiences of life where God becomes a little bit more like an imaginary friend than a real person in which you engage in what is called a relationship. And so when we go through the worship experiences, if we sometimes get caught up in the songs, we get caught up in the melodies, we get caught up in, in the things that somewhat are not really God, then somehow it's going to change that intimate longing of the heart. It's to approach God. We choose to approach God. We recognize that it is God that this worship time is all about. He is a person. And the way we enjoy Him, the way we experience Him, is to look at God. It is God that we have come into His presence. Numerous scriptures constantly talk about the person of God, and I realize that can be challenging for us. And sometimes we just lose sight of the God in who we have come to worship. Worship is the expression of a very humble heart, and yet one that approaches Him in reverence, with gratitude, and a, in essence, a surrendered heart that longs for relationship. And that is what continues to cultivate and maintain a passionate heart. Is I am not coming to do something such as worship. I'm coming into the presence of the Creator of the universe. Not only is He the one that has created all things, but He's given you and I a heart that has been recreated. We come into the presence of one that has meant so much to us that that enhances our worship. I find it interesting when I look at verses, uh, scriptures such as Hebrews chapter 11, 27, if you'd like to follow along with me, to help uh, develop 
a mindset or a heart that is keenly aware it is the person of God we approach. There's scriptures like this that kind of help sharpen that concept and magnify that experience. Hebrews 11 and verse 27. In speaking about the faith of Moses, it says in verse 27, By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. Here it is. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. Now I realize that's contradiction. Or is it a mystery? Or is it an invitation? When we come to worship, we realize that though we come to pursue God, we cannot see Him. He is in yet invisible. And we could try to describe the things we can see about God. But it's important to know what ignites your passion is you have allowed your mind to rest on the concept that God is there, number one. But number two, I've come to see the unseen one. As you and I express the richness of that personal relationship with Christ, you and I are not talking about an imaginary friend, but we have plenty of scriptures that feed into this and plenty of theological terms in our worship expressions. We have come to meet the creator of the universe and the one that has reshaped our perspective on life, our purpose in life, the meaning of life, we have come to magnify him. And when we desire, Lord, you reveal yourself enough that I can say I have seen the unseen one. And until the heart really has a longing to experience the vision of the unseen God, our worship will always be different. It will always be off to one side or the other. We have come not to simply imagine about what God is like. We have come to let him reveal himself in whatever way he chooses. But one thing, we have come to meet with God. That will reshape our, our worship and it can ignite a new kind of passion, a new kind of longing. Sometimes we just want to be comforted again. There's nothing wrong with that, but it possibly is going to keep us short from experiencing all that God ever intended it to be. We want to see the one who is unseen. If we've lost that passion to truly experience God, if we possibly have gotten distracted in not only our worship experiences, but the journey of our life, that we simply want God to somehow alleviate us of the complications or the challenges of life, I trust that this year we could begin by humbly saying, if I see him, then everything will be well. If my eye is upon God, then I can have the faith to believe that he has the power to change those circumstances. But if we simply come hoping that somehow the pain or the struggles or the problems or challenges would be the priority of my worship, we're going to come up with a different kind of experience. Our desire is that our eye would see the one who is invisible. The second thing that I trust could continually shape our worship experiences and bring life to them once again is what uh, uh, can be referred to in, in the Gospel of John, chapter 4. John, chapter 4, verses 23 and 24. John, chapter 4, 23 and 24. 
I realize that in the, the, the description of what is true worship and the description of what really is pleasing to God, that sometimes we can get the idea that worship is a lot of hard work. I've got to get my mind in the right place. I've got to get my heart in the right place. I've got to come with the right attitude. I've got to get my motives reoriented. We might get the idea that worship is more about trying to make sure everything is neatly in the right place, that we lose sight the beauty, that it's God who's seeking us. Even though we come and worship with a longing to experience Him and to see Him, we must remember that God is really the one that wants this engagement, this moment, this experience, more than you and I even would ever want. Gospel of John, chapter 4, and 23 and 24. A time is coming, Jesus says, and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and His worshipers must worship Him in spirit and truth. And even in these scriptures, it almost seems as if that God is only pleased when all the qualifications are met. That may have some merit and some truths. But the reason we come to worship is we are drawn there. We are responding to His invitation. It's important to know that sometimes our worship can lose its passion because we feel as if we're unworthy. We feel as if we're disqualified. We feel as, as, as we measure our week, we say, you know what, I have not been so spiritual this week, and therefore I probably shouldn't sing so loud, I probably shouldn't get so excited because I'm not really allowed to do that. Somehow we tell ourselves that we, we sort of live less than the standard, and therefore we are constantly or sometimes perpetually losing the joy of our worship. Because we lose sight, it's God who is seeking us. As I think in terms of this, I am reminded of, of uh, a few scriptures that some of us might say, well, I'm not sure I understand them in the context of worship. But when you realize your whole life is about a worship connection or relationship with God, then uh, bear with me as I look at these. In Luke chapter 15... We simply want to, to, once again, remind us that as we come into worship, indeed we ought to make sure that God is the priority of worship. But at the same time, we realize as we're pursuing God, if we're honest, if we're objective, it's easy to conclude, you know what, I'm walking on holy ground and I'm not so sure I ought to be here. But the gospel clearly teaches us that the one that you and I approach is really after us. He wants your heart. He wants the experience of this intimate time. What will ignite our passion in worship is to realize you're not only welcome, he's been looking for you. Luke chapter 15. We look at verses 4 through 7 as one of those examples. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. He goes home. Then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. 
We talk about a humble heart that comes with reverence. It's not so much that we have arrived somewhere, it's that we've discovered something. And that is God is holy, and yet He's still after me. He still is longing to draw my heart. Though my feet have wandered to the left or to the right, the grace of God is drawing and calling us once again. And worship, what truly brings its greatest richment, is not so much to, to proclaim or to shout what we're going to get out of the deal. It's we have come with a sense of brokenness and tenderness and, and real depth of the heart that said, God, I'm not sure I understand why you keep pursuing me, but I'm going to let that become an active ingredient in bringing my worship to be richly expressed. It's the grace of God. It's not only God's grace, it comes amazing grace. It comes so powerfully and so precious to us because we realize He has pursued me. And in the richness of worship, we simply just lift our hands and praise. Regardless of where we've been, I know that this Jesus loves me. Though it may not make sense, though I might feel uh, uneasy, it's in that worship that the repentance becomes a gift, not a curse. Sometimes we think of the idea that God wants us to lay all the cards out and tell it like it is, and we all sometimes begin to cringe thinking, I don't want to reveal everything, as if he doesn't know it all. But sometimes in worship we might feel as if that's this huge barrier, this hindrance of keeping us to God. But it's when grace begins to season your mind and heart that the repentance becomes a precious response. Lord, thank you for letting me understand how worship is so freeing. How it lets my heart truly come in tune with God and the flow of reality. The hidden things of life no longer have to be hidden. It's simply, I've laid it all out. If that one doesn't sell us on Jesus leaving the 99 and pursuing us, let's look at Luke chapter 15 and look at verses 20 and 21. We'll read 19. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up, he went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, that is, he has not quite entered the beauty of the sanctuary. He simply contemplated the fact that I ought to be disqualified, I'm unworthy. But in his approach and in his willingness to simply come and make a deal with God, while he's a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, Quick, bring the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Sometimes we come into the, the setting of worship and we don't feel so free because the weight of our conscience or maybe the guilt or the shame that has somewhat come down upon us, we feel as if we can't really celebrate. I'm simply coming to make a deal to somehow settle for something less. Worship is a freeing experience in which 
we lift our hands and our hearts before God and say, God, let your grace accomplish the purpose that it was intended to be. Worship is God seeking you and I. We come careful, we come devoted, but will we ever come worthy? Through grace, Jesus has chosen to grant us a different kind of worthiness, a different kind of righteousness. It's simply credited to our account at a huge price in which he paid. We trust that 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 energizing concept that Jesus has indeed paid it all would electrify our worship. It would cause us to desire to express the full expressions of the heart. We've come to once again experience the tenderness or the grace of God. Numerous other scriptures we could talk about, but let's go back to uh, Psalm 95 and look at verse 7. Psalm 95 and verse 7. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Worship certainly uh, focuses upon God and focuses upon that grace that he has uh, provided for us. And we find somewhat of a rekindled friendship with God on a a a recurring basis. When we come back into the presence of God, it's like being refreshed all over again, knowing that it's holy ground, and yet Jesus in His holiness has credited us a position or standing in which we tap into the richness of that grace and mercy. But we also realize that there's a kind of relationship that is not only of warmth and, and which draws us, but it's a kind of relationship in which We are his sheep, and he is this shepherd, and he is leading us somewhere. He is taking us to some place. And so when we think in terms of this relationship being rekindled or restored on a regular basis, whether it's a weekly experience or it's a day-by-day experience in our personal worship experiences, we realize that this relationship has the capacity to reshape the way we look at life. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 12, we look at the concept of being led, of being directed. And so in our worship experiences, uh, we not only uh, engage within thoughts about Jesus, but we also engage in commitments to following Him. Worship really is not complete until a commitment has been renewed. Worship is really lopsided if we look at the richness of grace without the commitment to live in that grace. And we are well aware of these things when we attempt to study Scripture, but I pray that we would realize the beauty of every time we lift our voices to God, that not only are we touching upon the sacredness of what we do, but we understand the beauty of once again God's grace covering us. But that third thing we point out is I trust we would realize when God invites us in, He wants to send us out. And so worship has a a much deeper meaning and purpose when you and I realize that we spend this time in His presence so the presence of God could go with us. So that that influence of that time with Him, 
that renewal that takes place, that rekindling of the heart passion, it will give us the desire to do something for His name and His glory. It's the concept what Gloria talked about when we talked about missions, and that emphasis is as an aspect of uh, worship. Um, Philippians chapter 3. Not only are we kind of on this mission or being sent by God or once again rekindled in our commitment to God, but that commitment has a, 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 a focal point. That commitment not only is, is to be busy for God, but what worship allows when the heart is brought to the right place is it separates between what God wants us to do and what someone else wants us to do. It helps bring clarity to the idea we're spo- simply supposed to be busy for God versus we are accomplishing His business purposes for our lives. In Philippians chapter 3 and verse 12, allow me to read that. The Apostle Paul says, Not that I've already obtained all this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Jesus Christ took hold of me. Every one of us, I believe, uh, fundamentally understands that that God has a unique purpose and plan for your life. And God has not only gifted us and created us for that purpose and plan, but it's in the times of worship that we begin to gain some clarity or sense about what that calling looks like. The question is not so much whether God has made it clear to us. The question is, do we pray the prayer that we just read in verse 12? Because God desires that when we come in those worship experiences, that we would ask this question. We would desire this kind of a response from God. It's in worship that it becomes an experience in which God shows us. Not that I've already obtained all this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on, that ought to be our prayer, to take hold of that which Jesus Christ took hold of me. Jesus has, in essence, Uh, captured our heart with a plan. He has called us with a unique sense of direction in life. And when that becomes our prayer, it changes worship. You see, when we come into worship, we can be fascinated with the idea of God. We can be fascinated with the beauty or the, the warmth that comes in grace. But until we somehow launch ourselves out to begin to say, Lord, set me apart. Do a work in my life and prepare me. Help me to sense that. Help me to know that. Help me to have the strength to step out in that. It's that experience that God reveals himself in worship. One of those experiences that's probably a lot clearer in the fact that God wanted to do something unique in someone's life. And in the setting of worship, it simply flowed out. Look at Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. And we find in verses 1 through 8, it is important to realize that what enlivens our worship experience, what, what brings some clarity to it, what begins to help us tap into these worship experiences, is we truly want to connect with God once again this year. We truly want to enjoy that that grace has covered literally everything. That God, in essence, has rolled out His carpet of love to receive us unto Himself. But I believe His purpose is that that love would be able to touch someone else's life. 
that that blessing that he's granted to us would be one that we could be a blessing to the world. And before we simply choose to say, Lord, I'm going to get real busy this year, I trust that in our worship times we learn to be still and say, and what does that look like for me? Isaiah chapter 6, 1 through 8, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne high and exalted, and on the train of his robe he filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, two they covered their feet, and two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined from a man of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with thongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, I have touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. I believe in our worship times that when we allow ourselves to be available for the purpose that God has called us and created us to be, but in those worship times we're willing to say, Lord, you can use my life. That's what truly enhances those worship experiences to simply come maybe week after week or you spend time in in the quietness of your worship experiences, if we do not recognize the beauty of saying, Lord, here I am, that somehow it changes worship. Sooner or later we begin to say, well, we were at this mountain long enough, as God says to Moses. We've been circling the mountain, experiencing this presence and, and gazing upon the power of God. Sooner or later, God wants to teach us through worship that there's a place He wants to take us to. There's a new situation He wants to lead us to. There's a purpose in your life, a unique plan in your life. And often, when the question is asked in worship, is quite often as the Spirit begins to reveal more to us what that unique plan truly entails. I pray as we venture into the new year, And we not only commit ourselves to magnifying God as high as we can lift Him up, as clear as we can understand His true identity, I pray that that really shapes our lives. And at the same time, I trust that especially if you're a kind of person that has struggled with that acceptance before God, to just let that grace overwhelm you and fill your very life, knowing that you and I are not accepted because we have won the performance prize this year. You and I are accepted because we have truly acknowledged that He is worthy. And He has accomplished the, the connection between ourselves and God. He has not only become our covering, but He has become the one that almost pleads with us to come into His presence. But ultimately, I trust we would realize that God has a purpose and plan for our lives. And it's in worship and in the reflection of who He is that He'll begin to reveal to us who He has called us to be. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that uh, You have uh, provided so much for us. 
And we thank you for the reality of a true relationship with you. I thank you for those experiences that we have have touched upon and tapped into in the days in the past. But we pray that you would rekindle among us a renewed sense of passion to experience you even more completely in the days ahead. God, not only give us the warmth of your embrace, but give us the courage to sense or to move in the direction of that unique calling. We thank you, God, for all that you desire to accomplish among us. May your name be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you and have a great day.